Let's pray. Father, thank You for the realities in that song. We need realities like that to hold on to right now. Things are upside down in our world. There's a lot of fear and worry. But You are the same yesterday, today, and forever. It's in You we find hope and strength and direction. And so I pray that You'd speak to our hearts. Meet us right where we're at today. Fill us. Bring glory through us to You. In Jesus' name, Amen. These definitely are uh, strange times. I got a text the other day from someone that was super excited about a gift that had shown up at their house. They called it an extravagant act of love. You would have thought like the publisher's clearinghouse showed up at their house with a $5,000 a week check for life or something. But you know what it was? Bob from our church had, had delivered two rolls of toilet paper to a family that needed some. He, he had gone to every grocery store in town and couldn't find any. Ended up going back to his own house and taking some out of his stash. Interesting, strange times. More seriously, uh, we know that right here in Yavapai County, Arizona, uh, coronavirus has hit home. The mayor of Prescott announced yesterday that there is indeed a case there. I personally know people being tested and isolated in their own homes after possible exposure. Uh, many people are worried. Uh, some are financially strained. I think about teachers and parents entering into a new season right now. Teachers figuring out how to do things online and parents figuring out a, a whole new schedule at home. And I, I was struck with how heavy this can be the other day as we prayed with a public school teacher right here in town and prayed for the challenges coming up and, and it didn't take long before tears broke out. You could, you could see the, the weight that, that she was carrying. Yesterday morning I was out for a run in our neighborhood and I saw two police cars at a house down the street. On my way back I saw a man bringing items out, mattresses and boxes. And I thought to myself, that must have been some sort of domestic altercation. Perhaps there's a, a divorce or something happening. And as I started to walk home, God tugged at my heart, go back up there and see what's going on and offer prayers. So I walked back up there and I didn't want to make it awkward. So I said, are you having a garage sale? And he said, no, a divorce. And I said, well, I just felt led to come back up here. I, I, I thought that might be what it was after I saw the police. And just to let you know, I'm, I'm praying for you. These are hard times, and I'm sure that makes it even harder. And he said, thank you. It's not for me. It's my brother who lives here. But that reminded me, these times are putting a weight on everyone, and we need help. Some celebrities tried to help this week. I don't know if you heard about the celebrities that got together and did an online version of John Lennon's song, Imagine. Musically, to me, it's one of the most beautiful songs ever written. Uh, it's the lyrics I struggle with. They got together and started out, as you know, Imagine There's No Heaven. It's easy if you try. Larry the Cable Guy of all people, weighed in on this attempt at hope. Did you know that the voice of Tomater is also a theologian? He is. You know what he said this week? He said, I'm not imagining no heaven. Jesus gives hope 
Government can't give people a heart change or hope. I, I read that and I thought, you go, Larry, get her done. In church language, that means amen. It's times like this that we realize we do need something more. We need something deeper than this world has to offer. Much that this world offers is very shallow. We need someone deeper. That someone is Jesus Christ. When we come with our weakness, we need His strength. When we come with our loneliness and isolation, we need His love. When we come with our emptiness, that's when we need His fullness. And what's cool is that's exactly what Paul prays for in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 21. So I want you to dive in with me, and I hope you'll make His prayer your own this week. He starts out in verse 14. He says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. For what reason, you say, like, Okay, what are you talking about, Paul? He's looking back to where we've been the past couple weeks. He's been talking about this awesome reality that, that God is taking people who are far from Him spiritually. They're, they're spiritually dead, and, and through faith in Christ, by His grace, He's making them alive. And He's even bringing together people from different races, Jews and Gentiles, into one body, unified, that can now access Him boldly through Christ where before they were afraid, now they have this relationship with Him. So he's looking back at that reality, and he's going to pray that they have the capacity to enjoy it to its fullest. Stuart Briscoe Briscoe is an author who looked at this passage, and he said it's like the, the little boy who loved molasses, and he fell into a barrel of molasses, and he sent up a prayer. He said, Lord... Give me the capacity for this opportunity. (laughs) Now, if you're like me, you read that and you're like, I'm not into a barrel of molasses. I like a little bit of it in my ginger snaps. Maybe for you it's pickles or payday or Subway sandwiches. Whatever the case, you get the image. Give me the capacity for this opportunity. That's what Paul's going to pray for these people. He's going to say, there's this awesome opportunity for people who come to faith in Christ to have a relationship with Him and with each other and make a powerful difference in the world to be a witness for Him. But now I want to pray that they grab onto it, that they seize it for all it's worth and that they understand what they have. So what's He going to pray for for them? Three things. He's going to pray they have strength. How many of you feel weak right now and you could use some strength? He's going to pray love. And he's going to pray the fullness of God in them. If you're feeling empty, that, that's a prayer we could all pray through Christ. But he jumps in. Here he goes into his request. He says, I pray that according to the riches of God's glory, He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. We come to Him with our weakness and ask Him for His strength. But how do we get that? It's when we trust in Christ, the Spirit of God Himself comes to live in us. Christ Himself 
comes to live in us. And in John, it says the Father comes to live in us. God Himself lives in those who come to faith in Christ. That's where the strength comes from. In our inner being. 2 Corinthians 4.16 says, So we do not lose heart. Maybe you feel like losing heart today. Paul says we don't. How? Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. That gives us hope that whatever's happening to our bodies, whatever's happening in our world, if we have God living in us, He can strengthen us in our inner being. John Quincy Adams, the former president, was once asked how he was feeling. As a believer in Christ, here's how he answered. He said, John Quincy Adams is well. The house in which he lives at present is becoming dilapidated. He was 80 at the time. It is tottering upon, upon its foundations. Time and the seasons have nearly destroyed it. Its walls are much shattered and it trembles with every wind. I think John Quincy Adams will have to move out of it soon. But he himself is quite well. Quite well. I love that. He was finding the reality that he was being strengthened in the inner man by his relationship with God. And I, I thought about that. I thought how that comes through the Spirit, through Christ dwelling in us. That's what Paul says here. When Paul chooses the word dwell right here, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, he had a couple choices of, of words to use. One was a word that meant dwell, kind of like a visitor at a hotel or an inn, just kind of coming in for a time and then passing through, a stranger in another place. The word he chose for dwell is someone who settles in permanently in a home that is their own. I say, all right, make that real for me. My friend Rick Wooten helped make this real for our family. We just went to Utah last week, and he had given me a book called My Heart, Christ's Home. And our family decided to take one chapter of this each day on our vacation and read it together. You can see if you like short books, it's, it's little. But it's powerful. And what he does is he talks about what it looks like when Christ comes to live in the believer. And he paints this picture of different rooms in our lives. And I won't read all the rooms to you, but one of the rooms in our lives is the living room. And that chapter starts out, the, the man talks about how Jesus would sit by the fireplace and every day the man would come down the stairs and sit with Jesus and talk with him and Jesus would talk with him. But then he started to get busy and he would ignore that time with Jesus. And after doing that for a time, he, he says this, As I passed the living room, the door was open. Glancing in, I saw a fire in the fireplace and Jesus sitting there. Suddenly, in dismay, it came to me. He is my guest. I invited him into my heart. He has come as my Savior and friend to live with me. Yet here I am neglecting him. I stopped, turned, and hesitantly went in. With downcast glance, I said, Master, I am sorry. Have you been here every morning? Yes, he said. I told you I'd be here to meet with you. I was even more ashamed. Now, he had been faithful in spite of my faithlessness. I asked him to forgive me, and he did, as he always does, when we acknowledge our failures and want to do the right thing. He said, the trouble is that you've been thinking of the quiet time of Bible study and prayer as a means for your own spiritual growth. 
This is true, but you have forgotten that this time means something to me also. Remember, I love you. At a great cost, I have redeemed you. I value your fellowship. Just to have you look up into my face warms my heart. Don't neglect this time if only for my sake. Whether or not you want to be with me, remember, I want to be with you. I really love you. I read that chapter and it got me. He wants to be with us. That's part of what it means that He, that he lives in us. But you get to the last chapter and it goes to a whole other step. The last chapter in that book is called Transferring the Title. And long story short, in that chapter, the man realized he had invited Jesus as a guest, but really Jesus wanted to take over. So he transfers the title of his heart to Jesus Christ. He said, I'm not going to try to play the host anymore. I'm going to be the servant. I am yours. And, and that's where Jesus wants to take us as His followers. Not only be our Savior, but also to be our Lord. Handley Mool said it this way, He enters not to cheer and to soothe alone. He does come to do those things, to cheer and to soothe us. But not that alone. But before all things else, He comes to reign. He, he comes to be our Lord. And that brings us to the reality that as His followers, we are not our own. We're not our own. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 says it this way, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. I meet with some men, or I was until the recent crisis, and we will re regroup again soon, Lord willing, but we, we talk about purity in our lives. And, and one of the chapters we read, in every man's battle brought up this truth that we are not our own. What does that mean when you face a temptation in your life? What's the first thing that often comes to our minds when we are looking at a temptation? Should I do this or shouldn't I? Do I, do I want to do this or do I not? And the, the author of that book pointed out that's not even a question we have a right to ask. That question is not mine to ask. I am not my own. I belong to Christ. The question is, would Christ have me do this? The men are talking about how that's been their first response in the face of temptation. Maybe you'll pick that up as well. But I want to ask you, how about you? If we get strength through the indwelling Spirit and Christ being Lord in our hearts, where is Christ in your life? Is He outside knocking on the door, waiting for you to believe and invite Him in? Is He inside as an uncomfortable guest in your heart? Or have you transferred the title to Him as Savior and Lord? Because that's where the real strength lies. If we're going to be strong in these dark days, that's where it comes from. This strength helps us into His second request. He also prays that we would know love in our lives. If you're feeling lonely, isolated especially during this time, Christ's love is the answer we need. That's why he goes on to pray in verse 17. He says that you being rooted and grounded in love. If you're a gardener, you love the first picture. It's the picture of a plant in soil. That's, that's where the believer is to live. Our soil is to be love. It's where we get our nutrients. God's love and, and living out His love in the lives of others. But he doesn't just say rooted. Some of you are more architectural and structural. He says grounded in love. That means love is the foundation of our walk as believers. 
okay? Now I think about what does that look like when we're rooted in love? How does that play out in the life of the believer? Many of you have gone to Galatians 5.22 before and seen the fruits of the Spirit, the things that, that come out of our lives. And you know that love is the first one. But Dr. Barnhouse, an author I appreciate, said love is not just the first of a list. It's the key to that whole list of fruit. Listen to how he breaks it down. He says love is the key. Joy is love singing. Peace is love resting. Long-suffering is love enduring. Kindness is love's touch. Goodness is love's character. Faithfulness is love's habit. Gentleness is love's self-forgetfulness. Self-control is love holding the reins. I love that. He really shows how love is the foundation. It's, it's what we're growing in. And I've seen it this week. You, you already heard the example of Bob taking those rolls of toilet paper. Seven people in our church have signed up this week to be shoppers for anyone who needs it. I love that. They just jumped out of there. I even had a call this week. There's, there's rumors that the government is going to be sending checks to families to help during this time of need. I had a call from a family in the church that said, if our checks come, we're blessed. We, we don't need those checks. I would like you and the elders to let us know if you come across a family that needs those checks and we will give them to them. I'm seeing the love. That, that spoke to my heart and I hope it speaks to you. But here's the deal. For love to be our foundation and for us to live like that, we have to go first to the love of God in Christ. That's the foundation of any love we give out. That's why he says in verse 18, I pray that they may have strength to comprehend with all the saints. It's together, as we do this together, the body of Christ in creative ways right now, that we may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. He wants us to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Now that's kind of an interesting phrase, right? How do you know something that surpasses knowledge? Well, I, I thought about it like this. Sometimes on a clear night, you can look up and, and, and see the faint glow of the Milky Way and be in awe of it, right? That doesn't necessarily mean at that moment I know exactly how wide and how many stars and everything is in it, but I can experience it. You can experience the love of Christ without getting to the, the magnitude of it fully, but it's a lifetime pursuit to keep on knowing how much Christ loves us. That's, I like the dimensions he mentions. He, he talks about the breadth, the length, the height, and depth. It's been said many times that, listen, when you think about those, you can think about the applications of it. His love is wide enough to reach the whole world. Any, anyone who would come to him in faith and repentance. That's how, how wide it is. It, it is long enough to last forever, no matter what comes our way. It's high enough to take sinners to heaven and deep enough to reach the most degraded sinner that's ever walked this planet. That's the love of Christ. The ancients like to think of the, the picture of the cross. Some of the early church, they thought about how the, the bottom of the cross was planted in the earth, but the top pointed to heaven and the, the crossbar stretched the Savior's arms out wide as if to show Him inviting all who would come. In faith. That, that's the, the love of Christ. 
Charles Spurgeon said, His love is so long that your old age cannot wear it out. Some of you home saying amen. So long your continual tribulation cannot exhaust it. You're in the middle of a trial. That can't end Christ's love for you. Your successive temptation shall not drain it dry. Like eternity itself, it knows no bounds. And I think about that love of Christ. And I think, you know what? One thing the church needs to remember during this time of darkness in our world, we need to serve and we need to do those tangible acts because we have a Savior who washed the feet of His disciples. Right? But we also need to remember the unique thing the church offers. It is the love of Christ Himself, the good news of who Jesus is that gives not just temporary physical hope, but hope that lasts forever. That's why Karl Barth said this, in the church of Jesus Christ, men speak about God and come to hear about God, about God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, about God's grace and truth, about God's thoughts and works, about God's promises and ordinances and commandments, about God's kingdom, and about the state and life of man in the sphere of His Lordship, but always and in all circumstances about God Himself. I read that and I say, yes, let's serve, but let's use it as a means to point them to God through Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. That's the unique thing we have to offer our world. So we talked about strength and love. What what happens when we're strengthened through the Spirit in our inner being, when when we give Christ the, the title to our heart? What happens when we're rooted and grounded in love and start to press into how how vast the love of Christ is. What happens is believers are filled with all the fullness of God. i got to admit, it feels almost blasphemous to even say those words, but they're in the Bible. Okay? Verse 19, he prays that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. What in the world does that mean? Well, we talked about Christ settling in our hearts, right? And listen to Colossians 2, 9, and 10. For in Christ, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. The whole fullness of God dwells in Christ. And you have been filled in Him, who is the head of all rule and authority. Christ is filled with all the fullness of God, and Christ comes to dwell in us. This is mind-blowing stuff. The, The Old Testament Jews... Would if they heard you talking about this, they would have said, what? Because you know what they thought of when they thought of the fullness of God? They thought of when the temple was dedicated and Solomon was out there and he prayed and he knelt down. And after all the ceremonies and prayers, God's presence came like fire and cloud into that temple and it filled the temple. And the priests had to run out of the temple. They could not do their work because God's glory had filled the temple. And now you get to the New Testament and it's telling us that through Christ, God dwells in us. And here's the crazy thing. Because of Christ and His sacrifice, we don't have to run away. We can continue to do our work because the biblical truth is our work is His work as He works in us. That would have blown their minds. No wonder Thomas Constable says believers are frail containers pulsating with divine power. Have you ever thought of yourself that way? Paul uses the metaphor of jars of clay. 
that hold a treasure. That's, that's what we are as believers. So, so if you've heard all this about strength and love and fullness in God, you're probably about where Paul is right now. He's ready to praise God. You probably are too. Verse 20, he says, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think. I love that phrase. Can I, I can ask a lot and I can think a lot. But according to his will and what he wants to do in the church, he can, he can do more, far more abundantly than all that I ask or think. Some translations say more than I can even imagine. According to the power at work within us, that reminds us that He doesn't just work out here outside of us. He wants to do much of His powerful work through His church. We need that right now. I look at the world around us and I want to say to the church, rise up. I believe God can work a revival right now in the midst of this. According to His power within us, to Him be glory. That's what it's all about, His glory. In the church, in in Christ Jesus, through the bride and the bridegroom, throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Now as we close, I think about that phrase, to Him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think. I'm reminded that an author named J.B. Phillips once wrote a book called Your God is Too Small. That title alone is catchy and it makes us think. How, how big is the God you believe in? Have you limited Him? Have you put Him in a box? Or is He the almighty, all-powerful God of the Bible? John Newton, the author of Amazing Grace, knew God's power because he'd been a slave trader and God saved him. And he wrote that, that song, Amazing Grace, but he also wrote this. He said, Thou art coming to a king large petitions with thee bring for his grace and power are such none can never ask too much i love that we need the reminder of a big god right now because it is dark out there but as i look through the scriptures i'm reminded that sometimes it is in the darkness that his glory and power shine the brightest I think about the Exodus. I'm in the book of Exodus in my quiet time right now. The people had just been set free from Egypt. They're heading into the wilderness and God tells Moses, Hey, I want you to take them to the Red Sea. Uh, Exodus 14.4 He says, I will harden Pharaoh's heart and he will pursue them and I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his host and the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. And they did so. They went to the Red Sea. Now, I notice a couple things here. God did not tell Moses how he would receive glory. He did not tell him here that he's about to open the sea. He just said, Moses, take him to the Red Sea. I'm going to get glory. And he didn't part the Red Sea until the Egyptians were breathing down their necks. The chariots were coming. And God had put his presence between them. And it was at that last desperate moment that God told Moses to lift his staff and that sea parted. And then they saw, this is how God is going to receive glory. But not until that moment. And and I think about that as we walk through the darkness of our world today. Maybe you're wondering, how in the world is God going to get glory in the middle of this? How in the world is He going to do His work in my life, in the lives of the church? How is He going to bring hope in the face of this fear? 
We have to do the same thing the Israelites did. Take one step at a time with Him in faith and relationship with Him. Listen to Him. And when He speaks, we listen and we follow. He doesn't show us the whole picture all at once. That's what the faith walk is all about. It's more about the relationship than His answers to our specific prayers. But it's out of that relationship that those answers flow. Will we trust Him or not? Do we believe He'll receive glory and use us during this dark time? Do we believe that He is able to do far more abundantly than, than all that I ask or think or imagine? I do, and I want to share a story. I connected with my sister this week, and, and she told me I could pass this on today because we believe there are other people that need the hope of this story. My sister is someone I love dearly. I, I asked her if I could tell this story, and she said, I, I said, I can be as vague as, or as specific as you want. And she said, you could uh, call me your sister, or you could call me some crazy person from Ohio. Well, I'll admit everybody in our family is a little crazy, but I love you. I want to call you sister. <laughs> but I, I remember when she began a relationship with Jesus as a little girl. I remember a special day at Lake Erie in Ohio when, when I got to baptize her and she proclaimed her, her faith in that cold water to, to a whole bunch of people. But she's been through a journey since then where, where in her own words she, she turned her back on her faith. Uh, her, her and her family have walked through some very hard things that even cause her to question the goodness of God. And maybe you relate to that. Maybe you're in the middle of something like that right now. And it led her into a, a restless search in her life. But she messaged me this week. And here's what the message said. It's part of it. She said, hey, just wanted to tell you God spoke to me today. I prayed to God tonight. I asked Him to forgive me for turning me back. I prayed He would forgive me for losing my faith. Everything's going to be okay. And then she went on to say, I prayed over Salem, that's her son, and Scarlett and I will pray before bed. She said, I feel something that is hard to describe, but all of us are going to be okay. And you say, what was it that led to that? revival in her life and I don't know all the details we'll, we'll leave that to God but I know a couple that she shared and my mom shared as I talked with my parents about the excitement of it as well there was some fear as to what's going on in the world and it got real poignant one day at her apartment when there was a loud boom outside and, and she ran outside afraid what, what, what was this loud sound and there, there was a man out there and he looked at my sister after sharing some, some other, other parts of his story. He said, if that scared you, when you hear the trumpet of the Lord sound, imagine how scared you'll be unless you get your life right with God. <laughs> now, I, that, that's a big part of what woke her up. And I love that because that goes like almost 100 against everything we teach people about evangelism, right? Be gentle, work into it, build a relationship. But God doesn't always work 
in our little boxes. God used this man at a fearful moment to speak to my sister and turn her life around. And so we began to pray at our house, God, don't let this just be a flash in the pan. Please, please water this and fan it into flame. And the next morning my mom called and said, Katrina came by and asked us for a Bible and some devotionals. And, and yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. So I, I love that story because I know there are others of you. Maybe you're the one who has turned your back on God and, and you don't believe he can, he can reach out to you and turn it around. He can do more than you ask or imagine. Maybe you're praying for someone like that. Don't quit praying. I'll tell you something. About a month ago, many of you church next door people know this list. What does it mean to live a full life in Jesus and bring others along for the ride? And we put it down for you. If you want one of these, let us know. We'll email you one. But one of the one of the things on there was who are one to five unbelievers I will pray for to come to know Jesus. And, and even though it technically says unbelievers, and I had some of those on there, I believe my sister was a, a believer because Jesus doesn't let go of his kids, but she was going through some journeys. I put her on that list that she would come back to God. About a month ago, on a run, on a dark morning before school. And then she messages me, and I'm like, God, thank you. Thank you. You are an awesome and powerful God. Listen, whether you're at peace right now in the face of COVID-19 or you are freaking out today, I invite you to come to Him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us. And I pray that to Him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, You are an awesome God, and I confess that sometimes we make You too small. We only look at our circumstances and we fail to look beyond them. We're like the ten spies who saw the giants in the land but didn't see Your powerful hand. Uh, Lord, there are giants in the land, but You're greater. You're greater. And Satan has plans for this time to steal hope and kill and destroy. And we're seeing some of the fallouts from, from what's going on out there. But we believe You are at work, even in the midst of this, to bring hope and life, salvation. And I pray that You would use the church worldwide to be a part of that. I thank You for stories like Katrina's that remind us of Your power. Every one of us that knows you is a sinner saved by grace. You're an awesome God. Your love does reach to the heavens and reach down to save us if we'll only turn to you in faith and repentance. Thank you for your power. And we, we pray that you'd help us to walk in the works which you prepared for us in advance to do for such a time as this. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.